When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. His eyes grew wide, and all he said was, holy shit. As he walked into flashlight range, we realized he was carrying a large knife. To my horror, I see a man tiptoeing from the side of my patio towards my door. Headphones recommended, listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host, Chad, and this is Disturbed. Thanks to Shudder for supporting this episode of Disturbed. Shudder is the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals. I'm talking from Hollywood favorites and cult classics to original series and critically acclaimed new genre films. To try Shudder free for 30 days and to catch the all-new season of Creepshow, go to Shudder.com and use promo code DISTURBED. Welcome back in, everyone. Thanks for joining me. Today, I've got one quick order of business before we get into it. We're currently taking your true experiences. I want to hear your story, and this can be anything from creepy encounters to UFOs, cryptids, unexplained happenings, paranormal, and more. And you can do this simply by leaving a message on our hotline at 701-354-3667. Just try to keep it under three minutes. I'll be playing your stories in upcoming episodes. So get those stories submitted. And with that, let's get rolling. Our first experience comes to us from Reddit user Yo Socrates and shows us why dogs can be great protectors. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin. To understand my story, you sort of have to know a tiny bit about trespassing laws in our country, and that we don't have any so long as you're respectful and non-destructive. You can walk over any hills you like, and in my case, camp on any beach of your choosing, so long as once you leave, the area is how you found it. I used to love to go camping when I was little. Our family would go multiple times a year with a large group of my parents' friends and their kids. On average, there were maybe 10 of us at a time, which was a bit of a logistical challenge since we always headed out to this one really remote beach on the coast. Actually, we weren't the only ones. There always were yachts bobbing just off the shore with people in them and other campers lining up and down the beach. Most of them also had children or teenagers. 
so it wasn't a wild party scene. It was very much an informal family holiday spot. There was even a small building with toilets and showers installed nearby, even though this was the middle of nowhere. I guess the local council must have figured it out and got sick of people peeing behind bushes. We took a trip up in spring 2011. I'm really bad with time, but I know this because I got my dog in winter 2010. After picking her out that November from the shelter as a birthday gift from me to me, as I paid her adoption fee. Let me tell you a little bit about Parmesan. Parmesan came to me as a six-month-old puppy who had been rescued from a dogfighting situation. We're not entirely sure what breed she is exactly, but my best guess is a lurcher staffy mix. She is a wonderfully well-tempered dog with people and most dogs, but you absolutely do not threaten her. She'll have you. So by the time of this camping trip, I'd had Parmesan for a few months. She'd never come camping with us before, but as far as my family are concerned, dogs go on camping trips. So when we all piled into the car, she came too. Unusually though, none of the family friends could make it. So it was only me, my sister, my dad, and my mom. I didn't mind. I wasn't that attached to the other kids. I'd rather play with my dog and I'd still have my sister. The drive took the best part of six hours and because we'd left a bit later, although I don't remember why we'd left later than normal, we arrived at sunset. Not a good time to be building a tent, but we'd expected to arrive to other campers already set up and the beach illuminated in campfires. The beach was empty. In spite of this, my parents started taking stuff out and trying to build the tent. They asked us to fetch some of the lighter bags from the boot of the car while they sat pointing a flashlight at the sand to see properly. I rolled down the window of the car for Parmesan before getting out. It was pretty hot for that time of year and I wanted her to have air. Always gotta be looking out for my furry little homie. As we're fumbling about in the dark on a beach in the middle of nowhere, it's pretty spooky. The one road that led to this beach was circular and had a bridge over the water, meaning you could basically circle around the beach like a big zero shape if you felt like it. I wasn't really paying any attention to the road. I was complaining I was tired as kids are wont to do, but my mum was. After maybe 15 minutes of my dad trying to nail the tent into the sand, my mom's asking him had he seen that car drive round. It's been a few times. My dad kind of shrugged her off. He's sort of like that. I don't know if he said anything back to her, but after a few more minutes, a car pulled up next to ours on the road and someone got out. It was maybe 15 or 20 feet from the cars to where we were, and the light was pretty low, except for the torches. We weren't expecting to see anyone else out here at this point, and I think my mom said it must be the security. I don't know why a random beach would have security. I think what she meant was the wildlife trust or something, as they do occasionally come down to do their nosy. The guy was walking pretty unevenly. He must have been drunk or high because he had that stagger to him. There was absolutely no way this guy was sober. Cool. A junkie. Not an unusual find, but it's rare to see them in the wild. As he walked into flashlight range, we realized he was carrying a large knife. 
maybe 15 inches. Although I was small at the time, so maybe my sense of scale was off. I don't like my dad. But credit to him, once he saw this, he got up immediately, holding onto the camping mallet and put us all behind him. The man began to shout wildly at us that we can't camp here, and he was just letting us know. My dad tried to initially be a bit low-key with the guy and told him that was fine, we'd leave. But this didn't work. He kept coming closer to us. So my dad started shouting and the man kept shouting back. My sister and I were crying. I remember shaking. I was utterly terrified as I'm sure anyone would be in that situation. It really did seem like this guy and my dad were going to fight and I'm going to be honest. I didn't fancy my dad's chances. While it's grim to consider, I'm absolutely convinced he would have killed my dad. And possibly us as well once he was done, as I don't think my mother would have had the common sense to run with us. I love her, but she's always put dad and her relationship with him above us. This isn't how it went down. A bolt from the black like a wolf descending on its prey took us all by surprise. Most of all, the man with the knife. In that moment, Parmesan was the apex predator large canines represent in nature. She got him good by the arm and clamped down hard, ripping his jacket and shredding the skin underneath. He dropped the knife as it had been in the arm she had got him by. He kicked her, he punched her, and eventually got her off. He grabbed the knife from the sand and ran back to his car and drove off. Parmesan didn't follow him. She stayed with us, muzzle covered in blood. Quickly as we could, we gathered our things and we all got back in the car. All pretty shook up by the incident. I looked Parmy over. She was okay. But the car's window was much more open than I'd left it. We think what happened was when the shouting started, she must have put her paws up on the gap I'd left for her. As it was an old car and had the rolly down windows and not the electric button, we think she must have been able to hit it with her paws to force it down enough to squeeze out. This is not the end of my story. We were all pretty scared, and since we had the dog with us, we couldn't book into a hotel for the night. My parents decided just to drive home so we could all feel safe, but first had to drive into the nearest town for petrol as they were kind of low. I spent the time trying to clean Parmesan up a little. I'd always loved dogs, but what she'd just done for me blew my mind. As we drove into town, we came across a petrol station but it looked closed. My dad drove up closer to get a better look and stuck his head out the window to get a better look at the sign. My mom asked him what on earth he was doing and he told her he was trying to see when it opens. Never. My heart fucking sank. Parked in the corner behind a van so we hadn't seen him at first was the man with the knife. He was sitting on the bonnet of his car using some tissue paper to clean up his arm. It looked pretty bad. Without stopping to refuel or look anywhere else in town, my dad drove right out of there. He decided to go to the next town over, but this was remote. The next town over was 60 miles away. He didn't have that much petrol, we realized as we began driving. We were going to break down. That's fine, Dad said. We had AA cover. They'd come tow us home or at least to somewhere acceptable for the night. Better than staying in the last town... After driving for maybe five minutes, lights flashes from behind. Another car. The same car the man had been driving. 
It was him following us. He must have realized we were low on petrol. The next half hour was one of the worst half hours of my life. I had a complete and utter breakdown, as did everyone, really. I could tell my parents were trying to keep it under wraps so it wouldn't upset us. But we weren't really little kids. We were both double digits. We knew how dangerous this situation was. Dad turned off the radio to conserve petrol, and the man followed us for 55 miles before he peeled away onto another road. Our fuel meter was on the big red E for empty for the last 10 miles. We were driving on fumes. I don't really believe in God, but if he does exist, that was definitely one of his miracles. Once we got there, we drove into a petrol station and refilled to a full tank before driving the rest of the way home. Sister and I slept in the car after that. I only woke up once we made it all the way home. Just grateful nothing worse had happened than that. After getting some sleep, my mum phoned the non-emergency line for the police and reported what had happened. They never got back to her after that, but apparently the woman she spoke to said they may wish to in the future, as he matched the description given of a suspect wanted in relation to a murder charge. No idea if he actually was that guy or just a random psycho. As I said, they never got back to her. So, what's the takeaway then? Other than crazy man on the beach, let's not meet? Well, for me, it's that I love Parmesan. She's still with us now. Old as the hills and twice as grizzled as one of my mum's friends likes to joke. I don't know why she did what she did that day. I couldn't tell you what her thought process was. What I do know is that this poor puppy was born into an environment where they abused and neglected her, only to be rescued and taken to a shelter where her mother and siblings all found homes before her. Despite how badly people had treated her, when I took her home, she forgave, but never forgot. I think the saying is, I never trust a person who doesn't like a dog, but I always trust a dog when they don't like a person. They have a very good understanding of human body language, and I think she must have understood how much danger we were in. If you're able to, please adopt. You might find yourself in a situation like mine one day. I promise you, if you're willing to save a four-legged friend's life, they will pay you back tenfold if they're able to, without a thought for their own safety. I paid 78 pounds for Palmazon's adoption fee, which is a lot when you're a kid. But it chills me to my bones knowing if I hadn't been so insistent on a dog, I might be dead. Special shout out to all of our newest Patreon supporters, Mirna, Amy, Kendall Cruz, Kristen Wilson, Vanessa, Kimberly Ross, Allison Landry, Kayla Kincaid, and Maurice Law. Support the show and get your very own shout-out, ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and more for as little as $3 a month by joining our Patreon at disturbedpodcast.com support. Next up. Reddit user Puzzled Plenty had a frightening experience with a prowler who just wouldn't give up. And join me in welcoming our newest guest narrator to the show. She's the host of the podcast It's Frightful, Sammy Taylor. 
Stick around after the story to hear a quick trailer for It's Frightful. So it's 7 a.m. and I'm idling in a McDonald's parking lot until sunrise. The past few days with an escalating prowler has finally driven me out of my home. I, a 25-year-old female, live alone and on the ground floor of some cute condos with lovely neighbors. I work nights, but with the pandemic, work has been seldom. Naturally, I'm used to staying up late. Four nights ago, at 2.30 a.m., I'm watching TV in the living room and my dog starts growling at the window. She only does this when someone or something it's usually a cat, raccoon, etc. is on my patio. I assumed it was an animal outside until I heard what sounded like someone trying to open my door. I sat still and listened for more noise because I just couldn't believe that was happening. I call my mom because I'm feeling weirded out and then peek out through my blinds, all closed by the way, to see the gate to my patio is wide open I know I shut it, and the wind doesn't ever blow it open. I'm still on the phone with my mom, and I get the genius idea to go show whoever it is that I'm not scared, and go latch my gate while making my presence known. I go outside, and there's a man on the walkway near my patio entrance. He was walking away until he heard my door open. He fully turns around to face me and stops, staring. Average looking white guy, hoodie up, hands in pockets, no bag, strange, as I first assumed it was just a patio thief. When he turned around and looked at me, I got a chill. Why would this thief show me his face and make a point of fully turning around to face me and stare? I'm shocked and begin walking backwards towards my door to go inside. He turns back around and keeps walking away. He takes three steps, then fully turns around again and stops to stare at me. I went inside and stayed on the phone for a couple of hours until I finally fell asleep. I called the non-emergency police and they made note. After that first weird encounter, I put a long and low to the ground flower pot against my patio gate so it would make noise if someone opened it. A couple of nights pass, and I didn't notice anyone creeping about until last night. Last night, about 1 a.m., I hear a crashing falling noise. Again, I call my mom for assurance and look around the house to see if anything fell. I think it must be nothing and get off the phone. I suddenly remember my DIY flower pot alarm and peek through the blinds to see yet again my gate is open and the flower pot knocked over. He came back. I called non-emergency police again. This time, they came and did a patrol of the neighborhood. They didn't catch him. Fast forward to tonight's incident. Needless to say, I'm thoroughly creeped out. I find a deal on some security cameras with motion detecting capabilities. Got to Best Buy just before closing and snagged the last pair in stock set those bad boys up, and felt pretty safe. 1 a.m. again. I'm running a bath on the phone with my boyfriend 
and get a motion detected alert from my security cameras. I assumed it was just a cat because I didn't hear the gate crash. I reset my flower pot system after it was knocked from the previous night. To my horror, I see a man tiptoeing from the side of my patio towards my door. He knew not to use the gate because it made noise last night. It was him. He wiggles my door handle. I'm absolutely terrified he's right there. He's back. Again. I throw on a long coat and run into the lobby barefoot and call 911. My boyfriend got here before the police and was running through the back with a baseball bat looking for this creep. Unfortunately for me, and lucky for him, he didn't find him. Police didn't find him either. So, here I am, sitting in a McDonald's parking lot at 7 a.m., scared to go home. It's all just too creepy, and I know to trust my gut. Why would he turn around and stare the first time? Why would he come back after he knew I saw him? Why is he so determined to be here? He hopped the fence to avoid the loud noise of the gate flower pot. What scares me the most is how persistent and undeterred he seems by any of it. What will stop him? What is the end game for him? Nothing is missing from my patio. Frankly, there's nothing to steal. He never had a backpack or bag, just hands in his pocket. I have him trying the door tonight on video. Any advice? Anyone know the psychology of guys like this? What can I do? I'm staying at a friend's for a few days and will be monitoring the cameras closely. Determined creep, let's not meet again. Hey, I'm Sammy. Ready Ready for for something frightful? frightful? Come join me and guest narrators as we read real stories from the paranormal. Suddenly their bedroom door handle started being violently janked up and down like someone was having a go at it and then everything just stopped. To creepy encounters with people who have nefarious intentions. And it was the same two people. It turns out those two had connections to a human trafficking ring. Subscribe to the It's Frightful podcast and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Until next time, it's not like we needed to sleep tonight anyways. I know you guys are big horror fans just like me, so you absolutely need to check out Shudder. It's the streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals that you won't be able to find anywhere else. You'll have unlimited access to stream their unique collection on all your favorite devices, like your iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, Android devices, and more. You'll find new supernatural terrors, edge of your seat thrillers, and shocking horrors added every single week all for $5.99 a month. I promise you can't get horror content like this anywhere else. One of the biggest shows coming in April is the new season of Creepshow. It's a Shudder original series based on the George Romero's 1980s horror anthology film. Season one was the most watched series in Shudder's history. And now they're back with nine nightmarish new tales that live up to the Creepshow tagline 
the most fun you'll ever have being scared. New episodes hit Shudder every Thursday in April. Now guys, for me, I love how the entire collection is curated and organized, and it makes finding your favorite horror movies super fast and easy. I jumped on the Shudder app and I had my first movie, Hunted, playing literally in seconds. They have a huge selection and range of genres that you'll always find the perfect terrifying movie to curl up to. And here's the best part. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Go to Shudder.com and use promo code DISTURBED. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com with promo code DISTURBED to try 30 days free. Save big money now on new siding from LP SmartSide at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP SmartSide today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic. And now each week, I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Now back to the show. And finally... Our title story coming to us from Reddit user The Zombie Medic. And this story just might contain the most powerful message we've ever had to share so far on Disturbed. It's paramedic story time. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford. I had been working for a couple of years as a paramedic after I graduated from school. The place I worked was primarily in the city, but our service area was the entire county, which is very rural. When you're in school, you go on ride-alongs. You practice your skills with your preceptors on patients, very similar to residency or internship. Your exposure to the job is what you get while on those ride-alongs. Sometimes you get seriously injured patients, and it's terrifying, because you sometimes don't always know what to do. You're still learning. But you have your preceptor at your back to protect you from any fuck-ups and guide you. Sometimes, though, you don't get lucky enough to experience some of these horrible things. To some, that might seem like a good thing. But it is important to experience these as it prepares you for a time when you're all alone. There are a couple of terms we use, called white cloud and black cloud. See, white cloud refers to a person, either a student or a professional, who never gets the exciting, serious calls. The calls always seem to come when you're just getting off shift or you left the area when the call came in and now another ambulance takes it. And this white cloud can follow this person for any length of time. The black cloud is the opposite. And when I was in school, I was a white cloud. I got a few cardiac arrests, bad accidents, things like that, but nothing that ever really stood out as unique. So, A couple of years into my career, this white cloud is still kind of hanging over me. That's not to say I hadn't had bad calls before that, I mean I had, but 
it's not the same. The day this story takes place is Christmas Eve. I worked from 7 a.m. Christmas Eve to 7 a.m. Christmas Day, and from what I remember, the day was pretty slow. Most people are with their families not going outside, getting into accidents, or causing mischief. I was working with the charge medic at the time, and a brand new EMT who was going through his FTO, field orientation process, he was with us. A few of my co-workers had made a Christmas dinner that day, so we all had hot food to enjoy while we had to work, and be away from our families. At our station, we had two ambulances there, with two crews. Myself, my partner, and our FTO, and the other crew. See, when night comes, if a call comes into our station, the two crews just rotate calls so that we get to sleep a little bit more. It was around 11pm, and I was sitting in the recliner watching TV call came into our station that required us to respond out to the county. One of the guys on the other crew, who was a friend of mine, was asleep in the recliner next to me, so I took the call. The call was initially for a woman who had fallen and hit her head, but was conscious and breathing. Due to the nature of the injury, we responded emergent. It was probably about a 15-minute drive to get to the person's house. As we were getting close, dispatch informs us that the PT was not unconscious, but breathing. As we approach the residence, driving down the street where this little development is, there's flashing lights everywhere. Sheriff's deputies, police, fire department were all there, with some even blocking the entrance to the street. For just a simple head injury, we thought that was pretty weird, and it set a weird vibe for the call. One of the deputies saw us coming and moved his car allowing us through. Once we got through, this part of the street ended in a cul-de-sac with houses all around it. People were standing on their front porches looking around at what was going on. We arrived at the address. There's a vehicle parked in the driveway, still running with officers all around. The driver's side door was open and there was an officer standing there looking like he was talking to someone sitting in the driver's seat. I walked up first with my partner and our EMT FTO behind me. As I approach the rear of the vehicle, I see there is definitely someone sitting inside. There is also a man, middle-aged in plain clothes, standing in front of the vehicle, his lower half lit up by the headlights. He has his hands in his pockets and is looking rather intently at the person in the vehicle. I walk up to the officer and get the report from him. While the officer is telling me what is going on, I look at the person in the driver's seat. The person sitting in the driver's seat was a middle-aged woman, maybe mid-40s or 50s, sitting back with her head against the headrest, her arms hanging down by her side. I can visibly see her breathing, hear her moaning, but not talking, and her eyes are also closed. There is a bit of blood running down from her head, past her cheeks and down to her chin. There's also a small stream of blood coming from her nose. The officer tells me that she was inside with the family when she came outside to get something from the car. The officer says that the woman's husband, and gestures to the man standing in front of the car, came out to check on her because she was out here for a while. The husband saw his wife bleeding. He figured she must have fallen or hit her head on something, so he called 911. The officer tells me the woman has not been responding to him. I attempt to speak to the woman. She does not answer me, but continues to moan. I perform a sternum rub to cause painful stimuli and hope to get some sort of reaction. No reaction. I ask the husband if she has been drinking tonight or if she abuses any drugs that he knows of. 
He says that she has had a few glasses of wine, but no drug use. At this point, I'm thinking she has a head injury and a potential brain bleed because she is not responding appropriately. I stand where the officer was standing in the driver's side door as I'm performing my assessment. I can't see where the blood is coming from, so I figure she has a laceration or something in her hair that isn't visible. It's at this time that the officer comes up to me. He says, we also found this in the driver's side door compartment. He produces a revolver. I look at the officer and look at the revolver. He looks at me and holds it out, and at the same time thinking to myself, Ugh, fuck. In the cylinder is one brass casing, with a primer indented. Meaning, a round has been fired. With this new information, and based on the bleeding, I assume the PT had put the gun to her temple or something. The fact that she is still breathing and making noises leads me to assume that she missed, or the bullet miraculously bounced off it when she held it at a weird angle. Due to the potential for significant head trauma, I decide that we need to place a cervical collar on the woman, in case of spinal injury as well. I ask one of the firefighters to grab a collar out of our ambulance. I open the back door of the vehicle and get in behind the woman so I can hold her head stable while the fireman places the collar on. It's only when I do this that I see what is really going on. As I slide in behind the PT, I can see the back of her head. Something I will never be able to unsee. Looking at the back of her head, I see a grapefruit-sized hole. With my flashlight, I look at the hole and it is almost empty. Except for a large piece of skull that is floating on top of a blood and brain soup. I look up, and on the headliner of the vehicle is a two-foot diameter halo of blood and brain painted above her with tiny pieces of skull stuck into the fabric. I look back at the hole. It's a chilly night, so I can see heat vapors coming out of the hole, similar to how you would be able to see your breath on a cold day. I look out of the vehicle at my partner and I say, we need to go now. Either the look on his face or his sense caused him to peek inside the vehicle and see what I was seeing. His eyes grew wide and all he said was, holy shit. Up until this point, we were taking our time carefully getting her out of the vehicle, but now carefully and slowly turned into, just to get her out of the vehicle. Our EMT also grabbed me a few large trauma dressings and gauze wrap. I placed the trauma dressing over the hole and wrapped the ever-living shit out of it around her head, so that when we moved her onto the stretcher, nothing would spill out. And with the help of the fire department and the police, we moved the woman onto the backboard and put her on the stretcher. And the whole time, the husband has been standing at the front of the vehicle watching, not understanding what was happening. As we get the woman on the stretcher, he comes over, and I can see he now has tears on his face. He bends down, kisses her on the cheek, and says, I love you. We quickly get the woman in the ambulance. And due to the woman's injuries, her cerebrum, the largest part of the brain, is almost completely gone meaning she has no motor function, no muscle tone, and no cognitive abilities. The brainstem, however, is still intact. The bullet missed it. The brainstem controls the body's autonomic functions, like respiratory rate, heart rate, and blood pressure. Due to this, when we move the woman to the stretcher, her tongue fell against the back of her oral airway, causing a blockage. I knew immediately this was going to happen, so I had my partner set up the intubation supplies for me. In the ambulance, 
placed the laryngoscope, bladed device used in intubation, into the patient's mouth to move her jaw and tongue forward, opening her airway. I see the hole on the roof of the woman's mouth. I slide the endotracheal tube through the woman's vocal cords into her trachea. This gives us a secured airway so we can ventilate the patient. My partner uses an intraosseous needle to gain vascular access. This does the same thing as an IV, but it goes into the bone, and medication and fluids are absorbed by the bone marrow. I place the PT on the cardiac monitor, check her blood pressure and oxygen. At the same time, I thought it was the strangest thing. Her blood pressure was actually good. Her heart rate was normal. I mean, her oxygen was good, and her cardiac rhythm was also normal. We start transporting emergent to the hospital, and I give them a heads up activating the trauma team. After the call, we went back to the station to restock the ambulance and clean up. That's when I saw all the bits of bone and blood on my pants and shirt. Luckily, the charge medic let me go home and take a shower, and put on a new pair of clothes. After I changed, I went back to work, and the rest of the shift was uneventful. I learned that the next morning, around 9am, the family had decided to remove life support, and the woman passed away. And for many years after that, I didn't notice a change. I kept doing what I do best and never really thought I'd been affected by it, until I realized I was. It was something that was always there, but I never really thought anything about it. Just thought it was my personality and who I developed into as an adult. I, mean, I realized how angry I was. I was not a mean person, but very simple stupid things would set me off. And I had a bad temper. I was also very cynical of the world, and still am. And what I thought was a stomach problem, I started thinking maybe it was anxiety. I decided that I want to figure out what caused me to be this way. I wanted to figure out why I think the way I do, why I act the way I do. So I decided to see a psychologist. After many months' visits, my psychologist came up with a PTSD diagnosis. I hated it at the time. I mean, I hated being categorized as someone with PTSD. It didn't make sense. I can handle anything, and nothing bothers me. But during those visits, as we conversed, I didn't realize how much it actually affected me. How much of a wall that I built up to shut everyone out and not see who I really am. To protect myself. And the more I thought about it, the more I came to realize that it probably makes sense. I just want to say, if anyone you know has or does struggle with mental health issues, just reach out. And if you struggle with mental health issues and think there's no one there for you to talk to, you're wrong. It can be a professional. It can be the person you consider a close friend or relative. Or if you feel that none of these options work for you, or that you're considering doing something dangerous, go to your local emergency room. Call 911, because that is what we are here for. The number for the National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. You can call from anywhere, anytime. There is always someone to talk to. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And help us grow by sharing the show with a friend or two. This episode was made possible by Shudder. Please support them. By doing so, you allow us to offer this show for free. 
Get your special extended 30-day free trial at Shudder.com with promo code DISTURBED. Musical score by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.